we're starting a new series today called Lift. And for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about um, the spiritual reality of encouragement. And, and I just want to kind of set it up like this. You may have heard this story. There were two men in a hospital. Both were seriously ill. One was over next to the wall and um, another man across the room. And the man away from the wall uh, had, had no ability to, to sit up. He just laid flat on his back and suffered. The man over by the wall had an ability to sit up about an hour a day. The doctor asked him to sit up so he could drain the uh, fluid off his lungs. And there was a window over by the wall. And it was the only window in the room. And so the men became great friends because they were stranded in this position together. And they talked about family and they talked about their jobs and they talked about their homes and they had each served in the military and they talked about that. But every afternoon the man near the window had his one hour he would sit up and he could look out the window. And so as time went by he would begin to describe what he would see out the window. Uh, because the other man had no ability to lift up and couldn't see. And so he would describe it for him. And he would say, you know, what do you, what do you see? That one hour period. He would say, well, I, I see a park with a beautiful lake and ducks and swans playing on the water. And then there came a certain time of year there were, you know, baby geese and baby ducks. And children would play with model sailboats in the water and young lovers would walk arm in arm and there's a guy selling helium balloons you know children would come by and get one and the the park was filled with beautiful flowers in the spring and so the man would describe in detail everything he'd see out the window and one afternoon a little parade went by and he'd say oh oh there's a drummer and you know baton twirler and you know, he would describe the little parade as it went through the park. And, and the guy would say, and, and what else? What else do you see? And even though he couldn't hear the parade, he could see it in his eyes because his roommate across the room would describe it so vividly. Days and weeks passed, and one morning the nurse arrived to bring water and uh, to, you know, do the morning routine. And the nurse was um, distraught. Because in the middle of the night, the man by the window had passed peacefully in his sleep. So they had to remove him out of the room. And the man who was away from the window said, was so heartbroken, he said, but, you know, he was my friend and he used to look out the window every day. And can you move me over by the window? So the nurse was glad to make the switch. She understood. He was uh, instructed by the doctor not to lift up, but... He so missed those moments of looking in the outside world that he forced himself to raise up enough that he could look out the window and see all those beautiful things his friend had described. And when he looked out the window, all he saw was a flat wall of the building next to his. And so he asked the nurse, he said, why, why do you think that the man who laid in this bed all these years, why do you think that he would describe all these things out the window that weren't really there? And she said, well, you have to understand, he was completely blind. He couldn't see. He didn't know they were not there. But maybe somehow he knew that you were discouraged and he just wanted to lift you up. 
Without physical eyes, the blind man could see what was most needed. Now today we're starting a series called Lift. And in our world filled with cynicism and bitterness and every reason to be discouraged, we need to understand the spiritual reality of encouragement. Now, before you guys think, okay, this is a series for girls. <laughs> before you think that, because men tend to think, I don't need encouragement, I'm a man. Being a man means you don't need encouragement. Well, I do want you to realize living in denial of your need of encouragement is actually a sign of weakness, not strength. In this series, we're going to talk about the power of encouragement. We're going to talk about why God gave us encouragement. We're going to talk about how to give encouragement. And we're going to talk about the spiritual gift. Some of you have the spiritual gift of encouragement. And we're going to talk about all of that. Now, the Bible's divided in two sections. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And the New Testament is written in Greek. And the Bible that you're reading from or that you've read from before is likely to be English or Spanish and has been translated from Hebrew or Greek into the language that you're reading. So if we want to get a richer or deeper understanding of what the Bible says, we have to go back to the original language and, and read it there. And, and so uh, to do that, I went back to those languages and looked and said, okay, what does the word encourage mean in Hebrew and Greek and let me tell you what it means the words used for encourage in the Old and New Testament usually mean to be strengthened to be strengthened to encourage someone is to strengthen them to encourage someone is to lift them up and make them stronger so to be encouraged is to be spiritually strengthened now there's several scriptures in the Bible that use these words together first Thessalonians 3 2 we sent Timothy Paul sent his protege Timothy to a church and he said who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so in this case, the word strengthen means to anchor. And the word encourage means to come alongside. So think about what this concept is the Bible is teaching. Someone comes along beside you and anchors you and makes you stronger, makes you able to sustain, helps you to overcome what you cannot overcome by yourself. The best picture we have in the New Testament comes from a man named Joseph. Now, if you've read the Bible a lot, you might recognize him by the name Barnabas. Well, his real name was Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas. And the Bible says Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Now, in the Jewish culture, to call somebody the son of something, not like we would derogatorily call them in our society, you understand. But to call them a son of something was, was to describe their character. So the Bible says that two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, were the sons of thunder. We presume that means that they had, you know, fiery personalities. So when you got them guys together, if those of you who've been around Kingdom for a little while, you know Joel and Jeremy who go to our church of brothers, sons of thunder. You get them loose in a room and something crazy is going to happen. So you can see how this would describe who they are. Well, in Barnabas' case, or son of encouragement, was a way of saying encouragement was Barnabas' defining characteristic. So to be known as Barnabas 
would be a huge compliment. It would be a great nickname to have. Because he had a reputation to honor, uh, to honor people. He had a reputation to lift people up because he valued people and he believed in people and he strengthened people. He's the guy when you thought of him. Do you have somebody in your life when you think of them, you smile? Yeah. And why is that? Because they're encouraging. You don't think about people who are critical. or You don't smile. You might smile like an evil grin. But you, but you don't smile because of how they make you feel, because of what they do for you. We smile because the effect that those people have on us. People look forward to spending time with Barnabas. You know you have that person in your life or those people in your life, when you see them coming, you're glad. You're like, oh, look, there's so-and-so. Look, good. And the reason you feel that way is because they usually leave you better off than they found you. Because they're encouraging. They're strengthening. The question is, how did Barnabas get that way? Well, Acts eleven twenty four gives us a little bit deeper description of Barnabas. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, I want to key in on that phrase. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Where does encouragement come from? It comes from God. Encouragement is not a human invention. It's not a human construct. It doesn't come from our personality. It doesn't come from our character. It comes from God's personality, and it comes from God's character. And personality will explain how you encourage. So maybe you're an introvert that's a writer, so you're going to send messages and text and write a note or a card. Maybe you're an extrovert who's an encourager. You're going to tend to verbalize and talk and say, oh, can I tell you uh, this about you or can I tell you what I see God doing in your life? It doesn't, the personality will tell you how. It will not determine if. If you are an encourager or if you're not an encourager. If you are crabby, <laughs> you ought to check your faith. Something might be wrong with it. If you're tearing people down and you're filled with bitterness and criticism, you might want to check your Holy Spirit level. Because the Bible says that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he strengthened those that were around him. Barnabas was an encourager because the God who lived in him was an encourager. When Jesus told his disciples the Holy Spirit was coming to earth to live inside of them, he called the Holy Spirit the comforter. It's the same word as encourager. As believers, we have the encourager living inside of us. A few minutes ago, we just sang, come Holy Spirit, flood this place with your love. What would that look like? It would look like a group of people released who were strengthening each other and those around them. That's what it would look like to be full of the Holy Spirit. We have the encourager living inside of us. We can lift others up because we have been lifted up by God. So here's the question for you this morning. Are you an encourager? I didn't ask you how. I asked you if. Are you an encourager? Do you lift people up or do you tear them down? If you follow Jesus, do you realize the God who lives inside of you is an encourager? 
The key to being an encourager is getting to know the God who lives inside of you better and becoming more like him, and then you will be an encourager. So the first step in becoming a better lifter is seeing how God has lifted you and then doing for others what God has done for you. So this morning, if you have something to write with, I want to give you three ways that God has lifted you up. And, and then in the couple of weeks that are coming, we'll talk more about the, the, the spiritual reality of encouragement and how we, can, how we can do it. But let me give you this morning three ways God has lifted you up. Number one, God loves you unconditionally. If you were to say to me, you can only teach one truth the rest of your life, what would it be? I don't even have to think about it. I can tell you, hands down, exactly what it would be. It would be this thought. God loves you unconditionally. If I only had one thing to say the rest of my life, it would be that. That means there is no condition by which God will stop loving you. It doesn't depend on your present circumstances. It doesn't depend on your past failures. If I could tell you how many people have come to me in some version or another and said, but you don't know what I've done. Many, many people think they are the exception to God's unconditional love because of this, because of their sin, because of their family, because of their background, because of what they've done, or because of what someone has done to them. And there's a reason it's called unconditional. Because there is no condition. <laughs> there's only one condition, and it was met when Jesus died on the cross. And from there on, it's unconditional love. Romans 3 says, For I am convinced, I want you to listen to this this morning, if you think God's love is conditional. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons... Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, that covers a lot. <laughs> Nothing, angels, demons, death, life, high, low, wide, narrow, skinny, big, small. Nothing. Nothing. I was so blessed and I didn't realize how much until I've gotten a little bit older to have had a parent in my life that modeled for me unconditional love. I was talking to a friend one day who had uh, a mother who, who did not. There were, <laughs> there were requirements to being treated right. There were rules that you had to keep in order for mom to reward you with her love. And it was so foreign to me, and it hit me that day how blessed I was. I thought, I... I my, my mother modeled for me unconditional love. I knew there was no sin, there was no evil, there was no law I could break. There was no nothing that I could have ever done. I could have come home and just blabbed it all out and said, this is what I've done. And I never doubted from childhood to this moment that she wouldn't say, now you know that's wrong, but I love you. And I'm always going to love you. And I never understood the power as a young person, as a child. I presumed, I assumed, 
I pushed against it. I pressed against it. I took it for granted. I thought everybody had that experience. And the older I get, the more I realize what a powerful thing unconditional love is. Because on the whole, I didn't get in very much trouble. I was a good kid all around. And I realized it was because somebody loved me unconditionally. I was free to be good because I was loved without condition. Does that make sense? And so my mom for me was such an incredible picture of God. Sin as hard as you want. I'm not going to stop loving you. And it makes so much of that rebellion unnecessary. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I uh, met my wife, uh, we were, were young and in college. And I remember the first time I came home and met her family. Her mother was suffering from a debilitating disease. And she was sick. And her mind had changed. And her body had changed. And her communication had changed. But her home was so different than mine in some regards. I watched how her dad loved her mom unconditionally. He wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I can tell you, I watched him up close, personally. I stayed in their house. I ate meals with them. I went on vacation with them. I traveled with them. And I watched him up close and personally love her unconditionally despite all the changes that were going on in her life. That picture burned in my mind and it's never left my mind. Because I saw in the worst of circumstances what unconditional love looked like. Now, if you want to write this down... I want to share a thought with you that, that is um, the best way I know how to describe unconditional love. Unconditional love is a love that will not change when everything else does. See, God's stubborn. <laughs> he won't repent, forget, change his mind. He set his soul on this thing. That he loves you. And here's what I know. When you become convinced that God loves you, that, I understand, is the greatest battle on earth. Battling sin is not the greatest battle. Battling your flesh is not the greatest battle. Battling darkness is not the greatest battle. Battling your own theology and faith Coming into an understanding that God loves you unconditionally and always will. When you win that battle, all the other battles get easier. God loves you unconditionally. And I believe the greatest power on earth is the unconditional love of God. It is what held Christ to the cross. He was stuck there by the unconditional love of God. So how has God lifted you? <laughs> he loves you without condition. He loves you with no strings attached. And once you become convinced of that, once you become convinced in your soul, that battle is won. What can life do to a person who's perfectly loved? What can it do to you then? So God has lifted you up first because he loves you unconditionally. Second, God has lifted you up because God will never leave you. Now, maybe that sounds, you know, that's a little cliche and sounds trite and sounds like a no-brainer. Hey, you know, who thinks God will leave them anyway? Well, I've got an answer for that. All of us. 
Everybody in this room has believed or thought or felt at some point in their life that God left you or abandoned you. Now that sounds like cognitively we know the right answer. But we don't always live the right answer. When we suffer enough, when we sin enough, when bad stuff happens to us enough, we grow numb and blind and we can't see God's work and we ask, where are you God? And we ask, where did you go? And why aren't you doing anything about this? But the fact that we're asking the question means he hasn't left. Where did the capacity to believe in a God that allows questions come from? It came from him, and it means he's still there. The fact that you feel conviction over the sin that you do proves that God is still with you, or else why would he waste his time convicting you? It reminds me of the atheist whose mission is to prove there is no God. If there's no God, why waste so much time on him? It's like the child who's been wounded by their own father who sits out to disprove that fathers aren't real. Whatever pains you've endured does not disprove God's existence. When we run from God, we usually end up running into him. When we try to tear him down, we only prove in greater degree that he's there. Try as you might, he will not leave you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who, give, who goes before you. He will, not be with, he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Several years ago, you might have called on the news, there was an earthquake uh, in Armenia. And a school had collapsed and buried students underneath the rubble. And rescue workers were called in. And they had all of the gear and the lights. And they were digging and digging and trying to find survivors and you know there's they've measured this out there's so many hours that a person could live without air and all of this and so there comes a point where all the effort that can be spent has been spent and they call it off because they reason nobody could survive this long and so that happened except for one guy he wouldn't stop digging so he kept digging and he kept digging and he kept digging and the more he dug although people around him discouraged him asked him to stop he began to hear these faint cries through the rubble of survivors barely hanging on to life. And sure enough, the worker reached this little cavern underneath all the rubble where there was a pocket of children underneath where the building had collapsed. And one of the children in the group was his own son. And as he cradled his son in his arms... His son said to the other children, as he wiped the dirt off, he looked at him and said, See, I told you my dad would come. He promised he would never leave me. That's exactly the same kind of father you and I have in God. In the worst of times, when things look and feel their worst, God will never leave you. Now here's the last one. How has God lifted you up? God loves you unconditionally. God will never leave you. Here's the last one. God is for you. God is for you. Now this one, we sometimes get this idea that God, yes, God does good stuff. Yes, God helps you, you know, if you really suffer enough 
or you go through enough bad stuff, or if you earn it. You know, if you've been a good little boy or girl, eventually God will cave in and break down and say, okay, okay, you won. I didn't think you'd be that good, but you were better than I thought, so here, here's your allowance. And we get that impression of God because we've had those experiences in life. Yes, he helps out, but he does it because he's obligated. He's reluctant. And we sometimes picture God as this trigger-happy stepdad who's just waiting to get mom's permission to punish you like you really deserve. But Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me share some things that the Bible says. We, we, we inherit, we absorb a lot of theology, a lot of belief about God that has no foundation in the Bible. And we absorb it because we breathe it in the air, we take it through our eyes, we absorb it through our skin and the experiences that we hold, and we believe those things to be true because we have experienced them somewhere around us. We have seen them or heard them or felt them. That's why God gave us the Bible and wrote it down. So there'd be no mistake about who He is or what he wants to do. So let me share some things with you that the Bible says. The Bible says God is for you. And his favor is on you. And nothing can match his strength, protection, forgiveness, blessing, provision, love, mercy, grace, watch care, availability, sensitivity, patience, tenderness, peace, graciousness, gentleness, joy, Kindness, faithfulness, goodness, consistency, willingness, sympathy, empathy, and authority on your behalf. He has lifted you up. He is on your side. And He is for you. He's for you. He doesn't just want to use you. He doesn't just want to wrangle you into behaving. He's for you. He knows the hairs on your head. He's counted every one of them. He knows you. He created you. He made you. He gave you a destiny. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a hope. He gave you a future. And what we're learning in this series is, and now on top of all of that, He wants to strengthen you. God has this crazy vision. That when he looks at you, he wants you to be a strong son or daughter of God. He wants you to live vibrant and abundant and joyful and peaceful and hope-filled. Are you, are you getting any of this? He, he, man, he doesn't, all of the junk in the world that will just die and fall away one day. That's not what he's about. He's about you. That's a, that's a startling thing to think that the God of the whole universe has focused his eternal effort, love, and work on you. A little you. Here you are. 
going about your life, running here and there. And he's focused all of this. And you are the recipient. And you have inherited so much because he wants you to be strong. I want you to uh, stand with me this morning. And I want you to, um, I think it's good to hear, but I think it's better to, I think it's better when you say it. I think it's good to listen. I think it's good to receive. I think it's good to, to receive in the Bible, talk to you and new ideas. But I think when you, when you get involved, when you believe it, when you say it, when you state it, when you process it, when you confess it, it becomes part of your soul. And I think it, I think it changes something in you when you do it. So this morning, I just have some thoughts about God and about His plan for you that I want us to, I want us to repeat together. And then, and then we're going to sing. We're going to end the service, and we're going to sing a song this morning. And I've just been praying that God would convince you, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, how much He loves you and how much He's for you, and that His plan for you is good, and He really wants to strengthen you. So we're going to put on the screen so you can, you can repeat um, with me. But would you just would you just out loud go go ahead and uh, put the words on the screen? There you go. Would you just out loud? Would you just repeat these things for me, uh, 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 with me? God is for me. His favor is on me. Nothing can match His strength, His authority, His protection, His provision, and His blessings toward me. His love. Mercy, forgiveness, and grace are my birthright as a child of my Father. His patience, tenderness, sensitivity, sympathy, and peace follow me every hour. He is gracious, gentle, kind, faithful, consistent, willing, available, and always good to me. God is for me and not against me. He has lifted me up and strengthened me. <laughs> do you receive that? Come on, do you receive that today? I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. And we're just going to sing a song together. You might have heard it before. And it's this song. I know that you are for me. I know that you will never leave me or forsake me. I know that you're for me. And we've, we've ended early today. And so here's all I want you to do. If you need prayer during this song, I just want you to come and let one of the prayer team pray for you. But everybody, whether you need prayer or not, our prayer team is here. We're ready to pray. Whether you need prayer or not, why, as you sing this song, what I want you to do is just try to lock on a thought of something that God has done for you. Something that He's done in your life. Some miracle, some provision, 
some breakthrough. And as you sing it, I just want you to begin to thank Him. God, I know that you're for me. I know that you're here. I know that you love me. Come on and just begin to thank Him now. I know that you love me. I know, I know regardless of what I feel today, regardless of where I've been, regardless of what I've experienced, God, some of you even by faith are going to have to say it because you don't believe it. You don't emotionally believe it yet. But just go ahead and say it in faith and say, God, as painful as it is, I'm going to deny what I feel and I'm going to say it in faith. I know that you're for me. I know that you're for me. I know that you love me. I know that you'll never leave me. State it today by faith. State it today by faith. So faithful. So to strengthen you. In just a minute we'll dismiss and 
If you need to be strengthened, I want you to come and let the prayer team pray with you. Because we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come. How God gives believers the ability to strengthen other believers. And so if you need strength today, I want to ask you to come and let the prayer team pray with you. And um, they'll stay behind for a minute. Even if everybody's dismissed, you don't have any hoops to jump through. We just want to minister to you and for you to be strong today. Lord, I thank you for your presence and I thank you for the way you have come to strengthen us and you have lifted us up in every way. So Lord, as we go, go with us and add the spiritual strength that our soul needs to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. As the worship team continues to sing, if you need to come, come now. If you need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. God bless you. Great to have you here.